Amen. Good worship set this morning. Yeah. Mother's Day. We sent out a midweek email with a question for you guys to think through, and hopefully it's not too hard a question to answer. But what is one thing that you learned from your mom, and are you still doing it? One thing, I know we could probably all say there's a whole ton of things, let me list them off, but this morning we're going to start with a little community dialogue and uh, actually have you guys answer that question. One thing that you learned from your mom and are you still doing it? Now I knew this question was coming so I figured I'd answer first just to break the ice. When I was in junior high, I think, early junior high, my mom was going to be doing a fair amount of traveling, so she decided to teach each of her kids, myself and three sisters, specific meals to cook. You guys like, I can cook. She taught me three meals, spaghetti, hamburgers, and huevos rancheros. And I tell you what, I love spaghetti, hamburgers, and huevos rancheros. Abby's like, yeah, if he ever has a choice, James, what should we have for dinner? How about spaghetti? What are we having for breakfast? Can I make huevos? So I am still doing it. I deeply value my mom teaching me those things. What is one thing that you learned from your mom, and are you still doing it? Yes. Creamy tomato soup? Very nice. When you're having it, please invite me over. Don't touch the hot burner. Fantastic. Dolores? Okay, good. Clean out all your jars. You clean out all your jars with a scraper. Very good. Dorothy. She taught you how to run a sewing machine. And I know from all the things you fixed for me that you are still doing that. Very good. Yes. Very good. Very true. Drew tears from your daughter. Yes. Very good. Taught you to find joy in the small things in life. Yeah. Taught you how to be compassionate. Very good. Christy? Very good. Very good. Good truth. Yes. My mom always said if you don't have something nice to say about someone, don't say anything at all. Any other moms ever teach you that? Yeah, we'll, we'll see if you. Yep, nods. Okay. Yeah, are you still doing that? Good question. <laughs> Susie, I saw your hand going up. Beauty is really good. 
Beauty is as beauty does. Very good. I like it. I like it. Good. Other things. Yes, Whitney. Okay, good. Doesn't matter if other people like you. Only matters if you like you. Miss Marlene, what's one thing your mom taught you? Love. Good. Very good. Jeff. Eat your veggies. <laughs> and clear your plate. Good. Good. Jenny. Oh, very good. Very good. Yes. Be yourself. That's good. Very good. Others? I mean, here's your, the longer you talk, the less I will. Fair? Fair trade? Oh, look at all those hands. <laughs> Debbie. I credit my mom for giving me a love of music. She used to be the church pianist here many years ago, and we had a piano in a double-level uh, house, and the piano was underneath, and she used to put us to sleep at night. We went to practice. Very good. Very good. I like that. Dan? Use please and thank you. Yeah. Good. Annika? How to frost cookies and cupcakes. These are the important things. Yeah. Tia? Because I said so is a perfectly good answer to anything. Is that why you've said it to me so many times? <laughs> Eric, like, uh-huh. That works. <laughs> Shelly. My mom taught me that holidays are really special and that she would always make a big deal out of little things, you know, and um, just really helped me to really look forward to holidays. Very good. Very good. The anticipation of holidays with the little things being made special. Ronnie, I'm going to make an exception and let you give two things because your hand's up. Very good. Patience and figuring out how to say the things you want to say. Dr. Dean. Don't call your elders by their first name. <laughs> it is a good thing I didn't say yes, Orville. <laughs> how to call your, don't call the elders by their, by their first name. That's good. Anybody else? One thing your mom taught you. David? My mom always prays for us kids. Always, every night before we go to bed. Not a worker, not worker, daddy. Very good. Great, great legacy to pass on. Praying for your kids at night before going to bed. You know, I think we all realize that moms don't have to be biological either. There's many women that play motherly roles, whether they have biological kids or not. I can think of several in my life that have played roles that have helped shape me. Um, oftentimes, some of my best friends' parents were some of those other motherly figures. Uh, the lunch lady in school was a motherly figure for me. She would call me in after school and give me bags of chicken wings <laughs> with just this twinkle, and I loved it. 
A lady named Nadine Buznitz also, she was the pastor's wife in the small Indian reservation church that we grew up in. Now, not only was she the pastor's wife, but she was also my Sunday school teacher. Still a handful of lessons that I vividly remember her teaching me. And I think she is still teaching to this day. Uh, Amazing longevity for her. And we have people like that too. And in fact, I want to recognize one of them this morning. Um, Debbie Crouch, would you come up here? (laughs) There in the headlights because she has no idea I'm doing this. Uh, Debbie, I understand that uh, after next week, you're going to be taking a break from teaching children's church. I am. You are. And you've been teaching children in this church for decades. A long time. time. Yeah, yeah. Well, because of that, I want to say I agree with you. It's time. Take a break. I commend you, and I applaud you, and I am so thankful for the years and years and years that you have put into the kids here at this church. My guess is that if we were to ask any of the kids that have grew up here, what's one thing that Mrs. Crouch taught you? That we would have a very, very long list. So thank you for all of that. This is for you. Um, And uh, we had a little bird that helped us know exactly where you would enjoy it the most. We also heard from this little bird that you don't want any attention, so we're keeping this short. So I want to pray for you uh, in, in praise for the years you've given as a motherly figure and a, as a children's teacher. Lord God, thank you for Debbie and for the uh, decades that she has poured her heart into teaching the children here at First Church. Thank you for all the lessons they have learned from her. And Lord, I pray that those lessons would be put into practice even to this day. Uh, not only that, Lord, but I pray those lessons would be passed on to future generations. Uh, Lord, may this break that Debbie takes from teaching in children's church, may it refresh her spirit. We thank you for her. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. What did you learn from your mom? And what did you learn from those who have gone before you? That's really the question we're going to be looking at today. We're in a series on the minor prophets. So far, we've looked at Nahum. We've spent two days in Zephaniah. Last week, we looked at Obadiah. And today, we'll start a four-week series in Zechariah. Now, originally, in our Explore the Bible curriculum, it said to do one week in Zechariah, two weeks in Luke, and then another week in Zechariah. But as I was studying this past Monday, I felt compelled. I mean, maybe you could say I felt God saying, you know what, don't, this, this is the, a long book. Don't just spend two weeks in it. This may be a minor prophet, but it has several major messages that I want the first church to hear. So we're going to spend four weeks in this this minor prophet. I'll give just a little bit of history this morning, because the rest of the history will flesh itself out over the course of the next four weeks. Zechariah is the longest of the minor prophets, and it is a difficult book to understand. If you have read through it any time recently, maybe the word obscurity would come to mind. In fact, that's what the ancient church father Jerome said. He said of Zechariah, it is the most obscure book. People throughout the ages have had trouble making sense of it. One medieval Jewish commentator said, nobody's going to know what this book means until the Messiah returns. So here we're going to try and tackle it. A little history of it. 
Due to Israel's sins, as is so often the case with the minor prophets, uh, God allowed a neighboring country to come in and conquer Israel. So the Babylonian Empire came in and conquered Jerusalem in 586 B.C. They destroyed the temple and they sent the Israelites into exile. You fast forward about 50 years and King Cyrus of Persia took over Babylonia at 538 and he began letting the Israelites return to Jerusalem to return to their homelands and they returned with the intention of rebuilding the temple. If you remember our series in Ezra and Nehemiah, some of this should be ringing a bell for you. So the first group returned to Jerusalem, and they started to rebuild the temple in 536. But there was some opposition from the locals, and it thwarted their cause. So a few years passed, about 16, and the prophet Haggai arose, and he urged people to resume the temple rebuild. And this time he had another voice urging them with him. It was the voice of Zechariah. Most people put Zechariah's prophesying right around 520, which was a few years, just four years before the temple rebuild was completed, 70 years after it had gotten torn down. So Zechariah is prophesying about five years before the end of the, uh, the demolition or before, before the completion of the temple. And listen to how the prophet begins. This is Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. In November of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave this message to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah and grandson of Edo. I, the Lord, was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when their earlier prophets said to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, turn from your evil ways and stop all your evil practices. Verse 5, where are your ancestors now? They and the prophets are long dead, but everything I said through my servant, the prophets, happened to your ancestors, just as I said. And as a result, they repented, and they said, We have received what we deserved from the Lord of heaven's armies. He has done what he has said he would do. Now these verses are summed up, realistically be said, 70 years. Remember. You know, it may not be something like, I learned to cook spaghetti from my mom, but this passage really is a learn from those before you passage. And what I see the prophet proclaiming right off the bat is this. Remember the past and change your behavior accordingly. Remember the past and change your behavior accordingly. Most of us talked about what our moms taught us, and they were positive things. In the book of Zechariah, the the, the prophet begins, learn from your mom and your grandma and others who came before you and learn from the negative things. What they didn't do, you guys don't do. So learn from that. Remember the past and change your behavior accordingly. So as I read this, I was thinking to myself, what is it that 70 years earlier the people did not do that got them put into exile and the temple destroyed? We find an answer to that in chapter 7. Go ahead and flip over there with me. Chapter 7 is a prophecy that was roughly two years after this first message came to Zechariah. 
chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. It says, On December 7th of the fourth year of King Darius's reign, another message came to Zechariah from the Lord. The people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regemelech along with their attendants to seek the Lord's favor. They would ask this question of the prophets and the priests at the temple of the Lord of Heaven's armies. Should we continue to mourn and fast each summer, on, each summer on the anniversary of the temple's destruction, as we have done for so many years? Now on the surface, what I see is this. The people asking, all right, Lord, if we remember the past and if we learn from it, should we keep mourning and fasting to commemorate the temple's destruction? Should we remember and continue that part of our history? Well, as is so often the case, God takes that question and turns it into a question of intention, a question of heart condition. Verses 4 through 7, the Lord of heaven's army sent me this message in reply. Say to all your people and your priests, during these 70 years of exile, when you fasted and mourned in the summer and in early autumn, was it really for me that you were fasting? And even now in your holy festivals, aren't you eating and drinking just to please yourselves? Isn't this the same message the Lord proclaimed through the prophets in years past when Jerusalem and the towns of Judah were bustling with people and the Negev and the foothills of Judah were well populated? I mean, who was that worship really for? God is asking them as they ask him, should we continue to do this? This is a message that he has given many times before. You remember hearing it in Isaiah 58 when God says this. He says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to, to learn all about me. They act like the righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to, to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. Well, I tell you why, God responds. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. This is the message God had given the people before. So back to our text today, back to the time of Zechariah, and we see one of the behaviors the Israelites needed to learn from their ancestors and not emulate was where their heart was during worship. God, should we continue to commemorate the fall of the temple? God replies, check your heart. And as you do, do this, verses 8 through 10. Then this message came to Zechariah from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor, and do not scheme against each other. Sometimes God's responses to his people are kind of vague. They're kind of hard to understand. But other times they are very direct. This is one of those times, Right? Judge fairly, show mercy, be kind. Don't oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. Don't scheme against each other. Why was God being so direct in his answer? It's because the ancestors 70 years earlier had not done that. 
Continuing on, verses 11 through 14, still in chapter 7. God says, your ancestors refused to listen to this message. They stubbornly turned away and they put their fingers in their ears to keep from hearing. They made their hearts as, as hard as stone and they could not hear the instructions or the messages that the Lord of heaven's armies had sent them by his spirit through the earlier prophets. This is why the Lord of heaven's army was so angry with them. Verse 13, since they refused to listen when I called to them, I would not listen when they called to me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. As with a whirlwind, I scattered them amongst the distant nations where they lived as strangers. Their land became so desolate that no one even traveled through it. They turned their pleasant land into a desert. I mean, can you hear what God's saying to his people in Zechariah's time? Listen to what took place 70 years ago and learn from it. Your ancestors did not do this, and they didn't do it in such a manner that we would all shake our heads. I mean, stick the fingers in the ear and say, neener, 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 God, we're not going to listen to you? God is saying to the people, Learn from your ancestors and change your behavior accordingly. The beginning of our message, we talked about things we learned from mom. And most of these were positive, right? Well, as we're looking at Zechariah, we again see that through Zechariah, he's saying, learn from your ancestors the negative things and don't do them. Learn the patterns, the behaviors, the ruts that your parents, grandparents got into and stay away from those ruts. Ruts that took your ancestors away from God. Now it could be easy for us today to sit and throw stones at the ancient Israelites. We could say something like, come on Israelites of old, God spoke to you. And he spoke through the prophets, yet you stuck your fingers in your ears and did not listen? Shame on you. It could be easy for us to do that, but I've got to tell you, I'm not willing. I'm not gonna, because I may not stick my fingers in my ears personally, but there are still plenty of things in my own life that get me in a rut that draw me away from God. Whether it's dates and deadlines or hobbies or just the busyness of life, there are things that I do that draw me away. And it's not uncommon for me to realize, wow, it's been quite a while since I've heard from God, felt God, sensed God. Have I been too stubborn, too lazy, too busy? When this happens to me, what do you think I do? I try and look back to my past, and I try and remember. I try and look to my past and remember the positive things I was taught, the the habits, the disciplines, the truths that my parents and other influencers imparted on me. In a plea to the Israelites as they were rejecting the Lord's ways, the prophet Jeremiah said this, Jeremiah 6.16, he says, this is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. I love this verse because it reminds me, much like Zechariah was reminding his people, to learn from the past, to look back. And remember, 
Stop at the crossroads. Look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. So what is that old godly way for me? What is it for us? I was reminded what it was for me this past week. Abby and I had the opportunity to watch one of our friend's sons, a little five, I think he's five years old, right? On Tuesday, uh, his dad had emergency appendix surgery. Um, so mom was with dad and the, the daughters were somewhere else. Um, so we watched CJ. And I found myself that night with CJ up in my son's room while he was playing Legos. Now, I had been stressing about this message. I'd been worrying, trying to figure out, what are we going to do with this? And I was on my Kindle reading, uh, reading a commentary on Zechariah while he was there playing Legos. And I kept getting distracted because as a little five-year-old boy, he likes to talk. And he's talking to himself. Man, look at how tall that Lego is. Oh, I could build this. And in the middle of his Lego commentary to himself, I hear the sweetest, quietest voice. Jesus loves me. This I know. Man, look at this. I can build this and then, and then I can put them together. And Just like that, he was back to his Lego commentary. Now, I didn't realize how much that had sunk in to me both to my head and to my heart, until the next morning I was on a ride somewhere between the Valley Y and the Idaho border, and I realized I'm singing Jesus Loves Me. While I'm riding, and I had been singing it probably for a couple of miles, and it hit me. That's the past that I need to remember. That's what I need to learn from. This was a song that my parents taught me early. More than likely, your parents taught you. And it's a song with deep, deep truths about God's feelings towards us. And when I stand at the crossroads and I look for the old godly way, what comes up is Jesus' love for me being that first truth. When I stand at that crossroads and look, Jesus' love for me and for us is usually what is the first thing to return. And then, maybe things that mom taught us, taught me. You know, the same things that God wanted to teach the Israelites. Be fair, be kind, show mercy, care for those who can't care for themselves. Don't be sneaky. And yes, we should do these things, but ultimately we'll do them based out of the fact that Jesus loves us. That's the truth that we base them out of. Out of that love, even if we've been stuck in a rut for quite some time, God is going to call us back. Out of that love, even if our ancestors have not given us good examples to follow, God can still call us back like he did in the, the first section of Zechariah. Return to me and I will return to you. We can do this because Jesus loves us. Moms, daughters, sisters, aunts, teach people that song. Continue to, because that is a truth that, Lord willing, will be passed from generation to generation to generation. The first major message in this minor prophet is to learn from our past. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you do love me. 
I thank you that you do love us, and I thank you that the Bible tells us that. I pray, Lord, that in times of struggle, in times of ruts, in times of great joy, that we would remember your love for us. And out of that, our behavior and our actions would reflect that love to others. I thank you for this simple truth, Lord, that we should learn from our past. We ask your guidance on the rest of Zechariah as we learn what other major lessons you want taught. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.